Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. So today is going to be a little bit different uh, uh, style of how we're doing this podcast today. I'm going to be more of the moderator here and asking questions, and Sarah and Shona are going to give us all their wisdom, um, and we're going to really focus on more of the Ayurvedic 101. You know, we've talked um, about it, Sarah, you've talked a lot about it kind of in passing when we're doing our some of our other talks. And then, yes, we had Jessica on the podcast too. um, And she talked a little bit more, but uh, it's always nice to hear multiple times uh, the same thing. So, um, so first let's just start simple and then we'll get in more in the nitty gritty stuff. So you both come from a yoga background. Is that how you got into Ayurvedic medicine practices or was there another way that you kind of found yourself in, uh, in the practice? Well, for me, it was through yoga when I took my, uh, well, there was like this growing interest in it. Shona, I think you, maybe you and I sparked each other's interest. It seemed that way. It seemed like we, it both entered our consciousness around the same time. And I felt like then it was kind of over the course of six months to a year we, we like, it just came more into our world and into our awareness through people that we knew or teachers that came into our lives or um, readings that we did together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, when I got my yoga therapy certification, I thought, you know, what's the next thing I want to learn? And that's where I thought, I want to learn Ayurveda. And then we started looking for who could we learn from? And uh, 
it, there's a, a lot out there and it was unclear where to, where to start. Um, yeah. n- n- and nothing really took hold. I th- when I met Jessica, I was like, yeah, that's the person I want to learn from <clears throat> because she had been to the Indian, you know, Indi- an Indian school of Ayurveda. I'm like, okay, I want somebody who's been there. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. what did you, when you were using the form of Ayurvedic medicine that you had learned in the beginning and that you uh, got from a Western perspective, um, how did that look? And then how does it look now? And then more like a 35,000 foot view, not necessarily nitty gritty. We'll get to nitty gritty in a little bit. Well, I think for me, it, it's it was hard to d- just get my head around the doshas or those, you know, driving forces uh, behind our physiology and health, you know, in like vata, pitta, kapha, what, you know, mm-hmm. what are those? And it, it, that, so the first part was just trying to see what that was uh, within myself and and um the environment um and and then to even just yeah and watch watch it change through the season so like thinking of vata as movement um pitta as the transformative fire and kapha as structure you know heavy uh they each have qualities and so like looking at the weather and going, well, you know, it's cold outside. That's like vata and kapha or it's wet outside. That's like kapha. And it, but to relate it to myself was actually very difficult. And I, I think you did more with it, Shona, than I did. Yeah, I worked with some teachers, various teachers in the Tri-Cities, but I also it was a little bit more vague. I did. I, I, I feel like I went through the same experience of trying to understand the three doshas and how they are in the environment and then thinking, trying to figure out what's my constitution. And I think at the time someone told me like I'm a pitta kapha person with a vata imbalance. Um, And then I tried to just be pretty basic about that and, you know, eat, eat uh, foods that were vata balancing or pitta balancing since that was my constitution Um, but then once I got into it, really like into it with Jessica as her patient and like we dove, I I realized that it's not that simple. Like it's not that simple for me just to eat Vata balancing foods because I actually had a Vata and have a Vata imbalance that's driven by a Pitta imbalance, which I, it's still like a little bit over my head (laughs) because I'm not. I'm in the I'm in it as a patient right now rather than as a um, student. Um, but I'm really just like you really have to study it because it's so much more complex than I thought it was in the beginning, which I think is the more quote unquote like Western version of Ayurveda, where now there's these like trendy terms of like are you a pitta person or like are you a vata person? It's like that's my impression right now, anyways. It's- well, yeah, and you make it, you actually clarify a good point for me, which is, um, you know, in the in the Indian model, you just do what the Ayurveda doctor tells you. And probably because it's too complicated. So I've even gone through a year of study. And 
I think the best that I can do with that is help people understand why you would adopt um, basic health practices. But as far as under being able to explain and diagnose these imbalances, way too complicated, way over my head. So, it, you know, even uh, so, I have to just take the word of the doctors, you know, the um, Vaidya is their term, but the Ayurvedic doctors saying, just do this. Don't try to understand why at the moment, because it would take too long to explain. And it's too, it is complex, actually. Yeah. It's like yeah. they say do it and then notice how you feel. Like, yeah. That's really powerful for me to just be like, really take the, those few seconds before or after a meal to really, really notice. And I might not understand why I feel that way, but then that's the whole process. Then they can help me understand why. Um, that. that- that, and that's another part that's been mind-blowing because I think in the Western approach, we want to understand why and then we'll do it. And this this has tripped me up, actually. <laughs> I can imagine. Because we do come from like a, an individualistic, evidence-based, uh, critical thinking lens. And sometimes we do have to just trust the experts and trust the process when you feel like, you are in a healing environment, not, you know, obviously we don't want to trust a cult leader um, or someone who is uh, um, harming you in whatever way that can be. So there's some intuition and trust that you have to have, it sounds like. Oh, I was just going to say, and we should say in Jessica's model, it's not just Jessica. It's also the other, the Swasta Acharya. She's she's always using that health coach with her, um, so she's just delivering the the prescription, so to speak. It's not a medical prescription; it's a health prescription. And then the other, the other person is helping to apply that. And yeah. So then, what can you both remember, like a specific moment where you really realized that how you were practicing Ayurvedic or understood it? Um, to what you had before into, oh, can you describe like a specific time that you're like, oh, this, the true roots of Ayurvedic medicine is where I need to focus on? Oh, well, that was <laughs> um, in taking uh, Jessica's courses. She's got uh, a Ayurveda 101, I think it's called. And in it, she's written a textbook, um, introducing the concepts of Ayurveda. And then she had us read this book called Modern and Global Ayurveda. And it's a series of essays on, you know, the history of Ayurveda and what brought it to where it is today. And it gave me a context of understanding um, that I didn't have prior to uh, realizing what the history of Ayurveda was in the United States, globally and at its roots and that's when i was like oh my gosh this is uh, more than i thought it was i think that um i sort of have just followed learning kind of through you sarah um i think that our our path of just sort of exploring and then we met um jessica at the yoga conference and she explained to us that, um, you know, she didn't follow Vasant Laud, that she you know, followed her teachings from India. That sort of shifted 
kind of changed my trajectory a little bit there. And then, um, but really definitely just joining my AYU and doing it as for my own health. That was probably the major turning point for me of just diving into it myself. And I would love to learn it as a student eventually um, to then be able to apply it to any therapy practice I may have. Um, I think going at it as the patient first or the, you know, learning to adopt these ways and then becoming the student is probably ideal. And, you know, and Iyengar yoga promotes that too. Like how many people, like they take some yoga class and they want to be a yoga teacher, but Iyengar is like, well, no, you need to practice for years before you do that. Um, Now I don't, they don't require that in Ayurveda teaching, but you know, we're trying to teach something that we don't have context for. So creating your context will make you more powerful at teaching it and, and actually studying it if you do decide at some point to do it. Because I've been, I would have to say I've been handicapped um, by trying to do it simultaneously. So I'm going through all these health changes while I'm trying to learn new information that goes um counter to what I've learned to this point. So like, I'm like looking at reality in a whole different way. It's very, uh, I've loved the, the challenge, the mental challenge, but it's also, <clears throat> it's a, you know, I haven't, my learning is not as wonderful as I would like it to be. <laughs> well, it's life-changing in a way that it literally makes you have to change your life. So yeah. it's hard if you've lived a certain way for so long and then like you're like oh shoot these practices that I've been doing are not really haven't been serving me and I mean sometimes it requires big change which is hard but I was thinking like if you just grow up in that sort of culture and of Ayurveda then it just comes more naturally um so I'm I'm happy I'm learning it now to like sort of give Gordy a, a head start on this way of living for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was also want to comment on the um, idea of being a patient first, or like doing it for yourself first. And that I think you brought up this quote, Sarah, last time of like John Barnes said something like that. Like you have to, you can only take somebody as far as you've gone yourself. Yes. Um, so. Mm. So then it sounds uh. like this has created even a bigger paradigm shift like even in your own lives outside of the practice of Ayurveda like can you talk about how you've seen shifts in either like your relationships or in your how you're thinking about the world or um, how you go about uh, understanding other cultures in the world Um, have you noticed a change in that (laughs) (laughs) um well yes so first of all let's see there's an in all at all levels so even just the practice of eating simply yeah it's um it okay reminds me of of meditation right like oh you want me not you know to quiet my mind well that's boring (laughs) it's boring right (laughs) right you just 
one one grain, one protein, two or three vegetables. When does it get interesting? Like <laughs> not like ten spices, like million ingredients. And I've had people who like just won't even continue past that statement because the thought of eating simply sounds so boring that it would take the joy of living away. So that's been a big shift to realize, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, you can still enjoy um, more elaborate meals at times, but it's not the way of life. It's not an everyday thing. And um, let's see, my dog is going crazy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, then... Um, then in the way I see the world, I think my whole study of yoga and Ayurveda has really been an illustration of how colonialism has weakened all of us um, by, you know, like putting white history as the pinnacle instead of learning from the other cultures that we encountered along the way. You know, that's humbling. Let's say in personal relationships. I, you know, I had uh, one, uh, one person in the program even saying like that it's changed a, an intimate relationship that they have, which was amazing, you know, that it would do that. Um, it, and yeah, so I think, I think those are some of, some of the ways um, and, and it's affecting me deeply and my uh, emotional and psychological self. I'm, things I thought I worked through, and I did, but they're still there at some organic level. And I was, our, you know, our culture, the way it is right now, really asks us to indulge. Um, we, even if it's just... I got to have that latte every day or whatever it is, whatever it is. Uh, and, and those things are not necessarily in our best interest, the way that we apply them. <clears throat> it's not that there's anything wrong with a latte. I'm not saying that, but when we do the same thing over and over every day, like I would, I used to come home and have a bowl of chips every day. There's a consequence to that every day. And, and it developed kind of a dependency on that to relieve a feeling uh, that, that um, I wasn't addressing. Yeah. So there, yeah, uh, it's teaching me to slow down also. I don't know if we, did we talk about this last time about that, the effects of chronic stress? Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. That's hard to explain that last, the last point you were making, Sarah. Um, um, let's see. So I agree. The first point that you made about keeping things simple was definitely the first eye-opening experience for me during this process um, because I thought that, you know, or more variety is better, which I think is a general belief in our culture, mm -hmm. um, to just eat a variety of food. Um, I even thought like snacking was okay throughout the day, 
Um, and so I would have, you know, a smoothie with like, I thought I was being, I thought I was being healthy, (laughs) but like I wasn't eating what was best for me. So I was having a smoothie with multiple ingredients and like green powders and, and like oatmeal with different spices and toppings and, um, and like tea or coffee. And, um, I thought, oh, I'm packing in all of these nutrients, but then Jessica was said, no, like she kind of laughed and said, oh, like Pitta people are, or people who have Pitta tendencies are like that. <laughs> we just want to, I was just trying to go above and beyond and it actually was detrimental to me. So it was, it has been a practice also to just be more simple and just do the like one grain, one protein, one vegetable, um, and just eat. It seemed like I, it was like, how am I even going to get enough food or how am I going to get enough nutrients? Um, but I just eat more of those three things in one sitting. It was really hard for me to give up snacks. I did. I thought I wasn't really quote unquote, like emotional eater, but I feel like a lot of emotions did come up for me giving up like a mid afternoon snack, um, and fearing like, Oh, like that fear of like being hungry was really interesting to me. And then, um, also giving up naps was hard too. I used like, I mean, early postpartum, it's totally fine to take a nap, but now I feel like I don't need it cause I'm sleeping through the night. Um, but I, I, I hold, I did notice that I hold on to different habits pretty fiercely, um, out of fear. Um, and so, I mean, I'm still working through that. And then I think I noticed like within my relationship, um, I, I'm working on, or I've been noticing just, I guess, like codependent tendencies and, like always thinking about what the other person needs in the relationship and then losing my sense of what I need, um, which is exactly what Ayurveda is like telling me to do is like really, really come into myself and like be my true authentic self. Um, And so I I think this has just been, it just is opening my eyes every day of just every decision that I make and noticing like, who is this for? Um, and it starts with the moment I open my eyes in the morning of like, oh, should I stay and cuddle? Or like, no, I probably should get up and like do my morning routine. <laughs> um, but then I feel bad about that. It's like all these thoughts that I'm just like way more aware of that I I like just were sort of in the dark before. Like I, So my awareness is just blown up about that and it's still evolving. Um, Thank you for saying that, because I would have to, I would agree, um, and it for me it's showed up when um, my husband started doing Ayurveda too, and my codependency just went into high gear. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, um, for us caretakers. <laughs> yes, and, and I, that was harder that's been about the hardest thing is just to let go and let him figure out for himself, which he's very capable of. <laughs> right. And the, the fear thing, 
there is a lot of fear for me too. Um, underlying my choices. It's like, so where's that coming from? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, I think some of it is physiology. The, um, some of it is mental. And, and even saying mental, it's not like a mental weakness. It's just, uh, I'm still, I'll let you know what, where I, I mean, it's all part of it. It's all like the same, like the mental stuff is part of the, I, I, it has been really great to learn the, what's going on for me in term, in the Ayurvedic terms. Cause it's like, oh, the fear is a vata type emotion and it gets exacerbated by these certain foods that I eat. Um, but like when I'm on my routine and my gut is in, in gear, I'm not as afraid anymore. And so they, it's like part of the same, uh, puzzle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not one or the other. Um, and I am glad I'm working with a therapist too. And they, the two things really bounce off well with each other to work on like all this mental stuff that's coming up that yeah, probably can trace back to like, I mean, some of this stuff is being dredged up from like childhood and like family dynamics. And so it's, it's like a lot, (laughs) it's a lot of work. Um, but I guess I'd rather just do it, do the hard work (laughs) and not not get sicker and sicker through my life. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like we boil it down. It's just such a surprise all the things that derive, that drive food selection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then how have you felt that modern life that we have set up now has been hard, has like kind of, it has been hard for you to then do those changes that you're talking about. Like I, everything that you guys were talking about was so fascinating and, and we, we, a lot of the themes and a lot of our episodes that we talk about is that awareness and, and how mo- we always talk about how modern life doesn't set us up for this improvement in awareness. So what have you noticed, like what type of habits or modern, modern aspects of our life have pulled you in the direction away from the new things that you're learning? Well, I would say one thing is the acceptance of constantly changing schedules. And, and I get to have a little bit more control over my schedule and still it's, you know, one of the things in Ayurveda, it's recommended to keep a regular schedule. And then I look at the teachers I treat, they hardly get the same lunchtime every day. And, and that's probably true for the kids too. Like, that should be hard and fast. Let people eat at the same times every day and then give them enough time to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, that's where with the pandemic and I'm kind of introvert that way. So I haven't minded not getting out much and I've been able to mainly keep a schedule and it's still, um, hard to do because I'll let work overtake it sometimes. Um, so that's, that's one. And, um, 
the the others is uh, uh you know like mm, how everybody else is eating is is different i would think um but also because now i eat wheat i can actually eat more often with my family you know whereas before i was wanting gluten-free and so i did have to have separate things so i know my friends notice i don't snack so that's like not partaking in the group uh eating and um people notice that but i don't care anymore as much as i used to care to fit in by how i consumed how about you shona um i agree with that i was thinking about how food is such a social thing in almost every culture and um yeah that's probably been one of the hardest things is because i'm the person that cooks in my relationship um and sometimes we just need different things or Lex wants to spice it up a little bit more and i'm like uh, it's it's hard to find that balance and sometimes I just have to cook two different things. Um, and then, yeah, with luckily with my family gatherings, everyone's pretty on board with different dietary needs. Um, but I know that a lot of families aren't as aware of that. So I can imagine that's harder. It's mm-hmm. um, uh, the hardest thing for me. We- we had a spice argument between my husband and I for years and years. In fact, I used to joke, oh, we're down to our only disagreement is pepper on food. And he he, he always thought I was being difficult. But by, um, you know, one of the first steps is you take everything down to simple on the spice as well. And then, you know, later you learn to add spice in and what, what might work for you. But at first you want to simplify so you get really clear about how your body's affected by spice. Well, uh, what I've learned is my body is extremely sensitive to spices. In fact, what triggered me having to get off my thyroid medication was spice in the food. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, Jessica was visiting. She actually cooked a meal for us and she used a couple of just regular spices and I could feel it kick my thyroid in gear. Now, and this was after a year of learning to eat simply. And then, um, and then the other time was my husband cooked the meal and he likes to use more spice. I, I felt the immediate effect on my body of the increased spice. And I realized, you know, I can't, I don't tolerate some of these spices very well. My body's very sensitive and reacts quickly to them. So I'm not one of those people that probably should be using a lot of spice or at least not right now at this stage of my life or whatever. And, uh, so we've learned to spice after cooking for a lot of things. That's so cool. Yeah. And then now you can use spice as like medicine almost, or that's (laughs) probably one of the paradigm shifts. It's like, Oh my gosh, the immediate effect of food. When you clear out your system and you realize how impactful just even one substance is, um, and then try to convey this to people, it's un- it seems unbelievable. 
It's hard to explain it because it, it's very different than like sci- Western science model. Because I feel like I have a lot of conversations with people where they say, like this just came up the other day of like, oh, they did a study on all the different milks, like almond milk, oat milk, coconut milk. And like they found that coconut milk was the best for people. And I was like, well, what does that really mean? <laughs> what it, I mean, for people, like which <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking, which people, like what types and Ayurvedically, what types of imbalances is that coconut milk good for? Because right now I'm drinking almond milk based on you know my Ayurvedic profile. Um, I'm not drinking oat milk because that's more too cooling for my body and um, clogging and all that. So it's, I just drop, I ended up dropping the conversation with that person because if you don't have the Ayurvedic model in your head, it's just, it's hard to argue with like the science that's out there. Yes. There's another paradigm shift Yeah, (laughs) Um, because yeah, yeah, Western Western model is seeks to show in research, but you cannot, um, there are too many variables to a, account for really and that's where Ayurvedic you know they're saying look this one person is going to act differently than many other people um, because they're in a different environment they're in a different stage of life they're in a different stage of health so even the almond milk today might not be the milk you want to drink in the summer Mm -hmm or might not be what you want to drink a year from now because of where you're going to be a year from now. So you, you, you can't just say the one best thing for everybody. You, um, it, and when I start, so what I'm trying to do now is, is try to mesh my physical therapy practice with, with what I know about Ayurveda. So I'm, looking at what Ayurveda says and then go into Western science, what does it say? And what I find is Western medicine isn't even asking the questions. Like one of my questions was fruit. Ayurveda says generally eat fruit separately from other foods. And even that's not a hard and fast rule. But um, when I try to figure out why, what they're saying is, the, the fruit will um, interfere with digestion when eat, eaten with other foods, and that will create metabolic waste. Um, so when you go into Western medicine or Western research, and I look at what, what does it research say about fruit and eating it with or without a meal, their question is, does it help you lose weight? So we're just... Like, will this food help me lose weight or not? We're not even looking at, can my body use it properly? We're not even asking that question to compare. So we don't know. And and, um, interesting. Motives and goals are different. Yeah. Interestingly, in the study with does it help you lose weight? It does because it takes longer to empty the stomach which to me verifies what Ayurveda is saying. It slows digestion and it allows for um, metabolic waste to build up. But it, it does satisfy hunger. So supposedly people will eat less. But then 
we're eating based on other cues besides hunger. Most of us have lost a sense of what hungry is. Even before we started, I mean, before we started recording, we were talking about how trendy it's becoming that the lymphatic system is being addressed and uh, more and more people on social media are talking about it and showing techniques to help improve your lymph health. But we feel like it's coming from the 90s idea coming back and the early 2000s coming back of thinness is the goal that everyone has to have and should have. And despite your health, right? Um, And however, people have been using lymphatic drainage to help improve people's functional lives and reducing infection risk and improving overall health in a different way. Um, I feel like our new, and it, it's a combination of those two of nutrition and lifestyle, and that the only goal in the Western world is to lose weight. And we're even seeing this with new research coming out about how childhood ob- obesity is is climbing and climbing and climbing, and mm. the the ways that we've addressed it in the past has clearly not helped. And so, you know, now they're saying that we need to go harder and earlier and uh, even extreme levels of 13 year olds having surgery. Right. And so we're just so far away from this idea of assuming that thinness and the only way that the reason why we're eating a certain way and exercising is to lose weight. In reality, let's, let's go for the health, like overall lifestyle, overall healthiness, um, which is, it's, it's terrifying that we're kind of going back to that, you know, for a while I thought we were doing really well with body positivity and, and that's not, I think the idea of body positivity kind of got lost in the extremes that people like to talk about. Um, but we had this great opportunity of using body positivity and knowing that all of us are different. So we need different advice and different lifestyles in our day-to-day lives. And now we're kind of going back to that, like blanket statements. And it's actually concerning to me. Yeah. Objectification of the human body. (laughs) And I, I do think I love, I really appreciate Sarah, you saying earlier about how you've noticed that within this practice that you see how colonialism has has kind of turned into this this supremacy idea and that it's truly has hurt everybody you know not just people of color and and what we would say it's really the global majority but in the western world you know more of minorities and not only is this idea of supremacy and colonialism hurting people of color but it's also hurting white people everybody right um and I feel like that because of all the rhetoric that's been happening for the past let's say six years seven years that and more that maybe that's why this idea of thinness and and objectification all of that has really kind of taken hold of it more it's definitely shifted like when I started learning Ayurveda it really shifted the way that I look at people in general and myself in terms of there's not like a standard that we're striving for it's like what or you have your own like 
however you show up in the world, if you're totally imbalanced, everyone is going to be totally different. So I started looking at people in terms of like, are they in balance or not? Versus like, do they need to lose weight or not? Is this how their body is showing up because this is, they're totally imbalanced and this is what they look like or, and they're more of this type of dosha um, or they actually have an imbalance and we can work on that. And then their body will, will transform into what it should be. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the irony is like, I went into Ayurveda to improve my health and I was, I was satisfied with my weight, but I lost like um, 15 pounds without trying. It just came off. And I happened to have a body composition test prior and then a year in and 12, 12 pounds of that was fat. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, you, you know, usually you'll lose more muscle mass than that. And, and it was only like a half a pound of muscle that I'd lost and the other was water. So, and, and then the people who come into the program that are, are carrying extra weight, I'm seeing this like where it's just the weight just is coming off without effort. Whereas before trying to diet, it just never would come off or it would, they would have to work so hard to keep it off. And it's, it's almost easy with the Ayurvedic model to get to a place where it's, you got to work to keep it on. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now too. It's, yeah. Especially postpartum. It, I went into Ayurveda postpartum and it fell off. And I, they were saying that like, well, you're in this phase where it will come off and then I'll go into a building phase where I'll actually probably gain more weight. And like, that's good. <laughs> it's not like, yeah. Uh, this is a totally different process or way of it thinking is. about it. Yeah. And I'm in a phase right now where I need to eat meat like twice a day or I can tell it because mm-hmm. I, you know, I need to be building where I am right now. And my husband's in a phase where he's supposed to be eating vegetarian. So it's a great example of how it's even in the same family, we might be needing different things and to let that happen. um, And in the lymphedema population or the, the population with lymph stasis. So by treating this population, I have targeted a group of people that have uh, um, Ayurvedic problems that fall into the range of um, one one certain range, right? So the, the Ayurveda talks about seven tissues and the first two are rasa and rakta. Those stand for like a plasma and blood and that that's where the problem lies for a lot of people that are having problems with their lymphatic system. So then they have a whole approach to helping in those areas. And already a couple of of my clients within my physical therapy practice who've decided to try the Ayurveda are actually seeing their swelling resolve. Mm. Now that's not the, I haven't had a lymphedema patient do it, but a postpartum lady I think there's a lot of application for postpartum. Um, and the and the other one is just, um, I think she might have like a 
maybe a, a mild primary lymphedema that never got diagnosed and it's gotten worse or developed as she's gotten a little older and she recognizes it, but like her medical providers are, did not see a problem, but she could tell a problem. I could see it very mildly. And I understand that it's getting better using the model. So there's a lot of potential there for us to be in better health. I think um, that's the other paradigm shift you're talking about too, just briefly. It's like, is that the Ayurveda notices imbalances or notices things in general a lot earlier or on a lot more subtle level than Western medicine. So you'll go to your doctor and they'll be like, you're in an excellent health. And then, but you're like, but I feel this, or I see this, or I have like slight swelling here. And then, yeah. And then they just brush it off or just say, no, you're fine. So yeah. that's Yeah. And, And here's another irony of the example of how we're all hurt by this, you know, colonialism and that. So there is actually a treatment in Ayurveda for um, uh, diabetes that is, can be highly effective and at least reduce the need for medication. Well, right now, India has the highest per capita rate of diabetes mm-hmm. as they adopt a more Western lifestyle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. I feel like we see that amongst a lot of cultures. Oh. <laughs> yeah, all well, Western, all, all first, na- you know, first nations, not only in here in America, but you see it in the Aboriginals in Australia and um, yeah. Josh. Yeah. Going. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Beautiful. So to wrap it up, Sarah, can you tell us um, about the class that's happening this Saturday? Oh, yeah. So actually, um, one of my clients is having a, a marked improvement in her health, and apparently her coworkers are recognizing it. And she's had several people come up to her and say, what are you doing? So I thought, oh, well, maybe it's a good time to hold a class and um, just an information class. So I'm going to do it at the clinic this this Saturday, February 11 at one o'clock. And I created a Zoom link so if people can't be at the clinic, they can um, they can zoom in. I'll set up a computer and I'll answer any questions people have about. um, Well. Ayurveda, as I understand it, and my IU, uh, because that's the program I support because I'm still such a neophyte at it. And I realize it's important to get the right information. So I think I'm a nice doorway to people Mm -hmm. who have um, a good handle on how to apply this well. Um, So yeah, anybody who wants to ask me questions, I'll be there from like, one to one forty-five um, on this Saturday. No, thanks for asking the questions. That was fun. Yeah, of course. That's kind of a fun format. Let's see if we can answer the questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully you had a nice little uh, summary of kind of what your top your ideas were floating around. So 
that was easy to kind of convert those into questions. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate cool. it. Thank you guys. And enjoy your travels. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.